Hey, I'm Amanda from Trifecta Fitness. We're proud to be Clarksville's new Get Fit headquarters. Trifecta Fitness is a state-of-the-art spin and strength training studio. Our spin studio is truly one of a kind in this area, complete with 20 state-of-the-art live fitness bikes and an incredible sound system. Our strength training is done in small groups of six or fewer, and all of our strength and spin classes are scalable for every level of experience. Come see us in the heart of Clarksville, just behind Mapco at the corner of Old Trenton Road and Wilma Rudolph Boulevard. Call us for more info at 931-542-6265 or download our Trifecta Fitness app for a full list of upcoming classes. Fit Nation. We are a show founded by veterans and hosted by veterans and a military spouse. Our mission is to get people to tell their story to the world. If you're an author, share your tips with the Misfit Nation. If you're a musician or actor, our audience needs to know how they too can get into the business. Coaches, we love our coaches. Come on, share some of your tips with the audience to help them become better versions of themselves. If you're a corporate leader or an entrepreneur, come on and share how you did it and how hard you have fought for success. If you're a veteran, first responder, or Gold Star family, we would love to have you come on and just share your story with the Misfit Nation. We always have time for you. Reach out and we will get you on. If you are feeling down, alone, or starting to see the darkness, stop. Think about those who are around you. You are not alone. You will be missed. If you feel like your problems will be a burden to those in your inner circle or are embarrassed to share that with them, please dial 988. If you are a veteran, take option one. We need you to keep pushing forward. Don't make it a permanent solution to a temporary problem. If you're a new listener, welcome to the Misfit Nation. Be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast apps and also on our YouTube channel at the underscore Misfit Nation. That's the underscore Misfit Nation. Subscribe and click the bell. This will keep you up to date with all of our latest episodes and all of our news. You can also find us on Electrocast Media and About Face Radio. This will keep you up to get to us and learn more about our great guests. Speaking of which... Our next guest has held command positions in the Army and the Air Force and received the Distinguished Flying Cross, Bronze Star, and 14 Combat Air Medals. He attended Utah State where he earned his bachelor's and was commissioned as an Army Aviation Second Lieutenant. He also earned his master's in aviation instruction. He currently serves as a Lieutenant Colonel in for the Air Force Combat Search and Rescue. So without further ado, let's welcome Army and Air Force veteran Brian Slade to the Misfit Nation. Welcome, Brian. Thanks, Rich. Thanks for that intro. <laughs> it's awesome to have you here. Like we talked in the pre-show, we had a hiccup, but we got this thing going. We're climbing into 2023, uh, uh, blazing through it now. Uh, uh, two weeks in already, can't believe it's that quick, but uh, we're rocking into the new year, and I'm, I hope you are as well. Yeah, I just didn't want to be at the end of the year. I want to be at the first of the next one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that explains a lot right there thank you <laughs> thanks, thanks for putting that foot forward for us and doing it so brian you know i gave a, a quick uh hiccup of what about you right there if you want to go a little deeper and as far back as you want to go into your into your life to how we got to where we are now that would be great to share with the, with the audience here yeah i'm i mean you kind of hit on a little bit i got a little occupational add i was uh both 
Army and Air Force. Well, I still am Air Force. I'll be uh, re- dropping my papers in March. So a little bit of Congratulations. light at the end of the tunnel there. But um, I was an enlisted guy for seven to eight years for, at, b- before I went into you know college and then ended up going through the ROTC. It's called the Simultaneous Membership Program, uh, where I earned a commission and then ended up getting into aviation and flying the Apache. Uh, which the book that that I'm that I'm here talking about, Cleared Hot, is chronicles my. It was over a year long deployment in in Afghanistan with the Apache. I've since you know deployed multiple times, both Afghanistan and Iraq and Africa, with both the Air Force and the Army. But the book is really only chronicling that first Apache deployment. Um, grew up out for oldest of eight kids. I like to say eldest because it sounds fancier, um, but. Uh, but yeah, I moved out at 15 and and haven't looked back. And so, uh, you know, excited excited to share the story because of, of what it means to me and what I think it can mean to others, as far as uh, you know, learning how to re- how to deal with some of the things that we have to deal with when we do go uh, and execute the enemy or execute with the enemy or execute on foreign soil where it's hostile work environment where things get kinetic. Um, and so that's really kind of what the catalyst of, of bringing forth the book was, was, was a, a teaching and entertaining. I mean, the stories, the story should entertain people, but I try to be real sneaky with some lessons in there. And then at the very end, uh, you know, we kind of go into it in more depth and then we have some follow on training for those that are interested in that too. Awesome. The book is called cleared hot. I think it was released just last year, right? Uh, December, maybe, or October, October 18th. So man, months are crawling. It feels like it was just the other day, but yeah. yeah. October 18th it was released and uh, it can be purchased anywhere. So tell us a little bit about the book, just an overview of the book real quick. So they have something, something to tease them and get them out there to buy the book from you or for you. <laughs> yeah. So whether I was, uh, I call it good luck, bad luck. I don't know what you want to call it, but I was blessed slash cursed or whatever you want. You know, it's all perspective, right? I had lots of intense situations and lots of intense engagements with, um, you know, Taliban and with the the enemy and uh and from those intense situations and and that deployment there were tons of lessons learned and most of them some of them i realized while they were happening but you know a lot of times it's after it happens and you really kind of look back at it and say oh you know that happened and, and this is how it affected me and that's how i got through it when i got back from my deployment i started to notice that a lot of the guys that i deployed with you know Chant, I mean, warriors were, were really struggling. Right. And and I looked at myself and I was like, am I struggling? Am I am, how, where am I at with this whole with this whole thing? And and I actually felt like I was in a better place and a stronger than I was before I, I deployed. And it really kind of made me look at what the difference was. And I got together with some really smart people who pushed their glasses back and do a lot of studying and <laughs> and and the, got three letters behind their names and all that. And, and said, hey, what's the deal? How come how come I'm OK? And these guys are really struggling. Not all of them. You know, some guys were like they were they were doing better, you know, felt pretty good about it. And, and then other guys were, you know, kind of in that middle road. And then you have all the way to the other end of the spectrum where people are ready to take their life and sometimes do. That's a huge, a huge array of of response to the same stimulus. And and that part really made me try to figure what really had. It was a question mark in my head. And uh, when we when we drilled down some with these, you know, with the professionals, we found some things. We're like, oh, you got into my day-to-day. What were you doing during the day? What was your routine? What was, what's your background? Where did you come from? And we really boiled down into there. And there's some things that I can't teach, you know, some things you're born with, some things 
or circumstance where you grew up or I can't change anything with that. That's what it, that's you, you get what you get <laughs> and you don't throw a fit. Right. That's what my mom would say. Yeah. Um, but there were things that I was doing and I was doing them for other reasons, but they benefited me. They made my mind more to, to the traumatic effect, more apt to accept the trauma as a, as an opportunity versus see it as something that would derail me. And so there were things that I was doing and I was like, well, let's capture that. How can we capture that? And that's, that's when I decided to write the book. Right. And so the stories are entertaining. If you like war stories, you'll love it. But there's also a lot of lessons on leadership and, and mental resilience throughout the book. Definitely. And I, I think you hit on a key point there with, with every one of us is made different, uh, biologically, physically, mentally. And, uh, we definitely won't react the same to any stimulus in the, Combat is something, another one of those stimuli that all of us do not react the same. I had a platoon of 32 in, in uh, Kandahar, and uh, not one of us were the same. And uh, we all reacted differently and treated ourselves differently as we went through it. And then when we came home, it, it got kind of a, a little wonky for some of them. But we're all still here. We're all still whole, those who made it back. And uh, it's just a different way of doing things for each person. And I, I know I read uh, a little bit in there where it took the separation with your family to realize that you needed that conversation. You need to talk to them about things and understand that what you were going through and that way they can actually be there to help you. Is that something that you show others as well to say, Hey, you got to talk to those in your inner circle, let them know what's going on and maybe push forward. Yeah. I mean, first off, you got to identify who that circle is. Right. Right. And, and, and not, this is a, a harsh reality. Some people don't have an inner circle and if they don't, and if you're listening right now, I promise you there's a lot of guys out there like like us. I, I can say us, right? That, yes. that that are willing to be your inner circle, right? Because this is I just I just explained this to somebody the other day. I was like, I was like, you know, when I talk to guys from the military, it's always brother. It's always brother. Right. Hey man, I got your brother. But the and the person that I'm I'm with noticed that I only do that with military. Like I don't do that with just a guy that I'm talking to. I don't do that with because there's just something there that you are my brother until you prove otherwise, right? When you're military, you are, that's just an assumption. So if you're in that dark place, there are a lot of guys in your circle that you just don't realize are there. So if you feel like you don't have a circle, you're wrong, but, but I get it. Sometimes you can't see that circle. Sometimes you're so deep in the gunfight. All you see is the gunfight. And, but I, I, if you're listening to this and you are in that situation, I mean, you can find me on all the socials. Message me. I will message you back personally. It won't be a it won't be a virtual assistant. It won't be anything like that. I will message you. So just understand that there 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 is an inner circle for you. So yeah, identify that circle first, and then when you have that circle, you can step away from the, the trauma and and really kind of share in a in a safe environment. And I call that letting your wound breathe, man. If you if you cover up a, a wound that's not treated correctly, that thing is going to fester, and eventually you're going to lose that limb. And, uh, and, and we, we see that happening, you know, definitely. So that's just one, you know, one of the principles we do talk to is, is kind of that is like, is identifying who that circle is in, and and strengthening that circle and creating and opening those lines of communications. Uh, a, a buddy of mine calls it, identify your lifeguards. Cause that's what they're going to do. They're going to guard your life. I like that. I like that right there. Identify lifeguards. That's a, a good, a good mantra to use there. And, and sometimes those people who you think are your inner circle really aren't. They're uh, the dudes that you know or brothers and sisters that you know that really aren't really there for you. They're there for them until you need something. And then they're outside circle looking in. 
So you really got to pick and choose wisely and, and know, know those who are there. If you don't know them, don't create the a bond that's not really there. Right. And that's why I say that's the first step is, is identify who that is. And I will say this, once you start to share and you start in a healthy, in a healthy environment, you'll get to a point where it doesn't matter. You can talk about it with anybody and it's not going to, you'll be fine. But when you're first starting this, it need, it's really important that you, like we just talked about, you identify who that circle is and make sure that they are there for you. Right. So you, I mean, we read off your your chest, your chest candy before your all your medals and stuff, and <laughs> fourteen combat aviation uh, medals right there. That's a lot right there for the average listener. They they think that's oh that's pretty cool, but that you had to sacrifice a lot to get fourteen, and they're not just handed out. Those are the things you earn. You were in both theaters of combat in Iraq and Afghanistan. You've seen a lot of uh, horrible things from above. And uh, even when though you were Task Force Pedro, you got to see some things pretty close and personal on the ground as you had to go into most of the more hostile areas where other birds would not go in. You guys would go in. Uh, tell tell the audience a little bit about more what Task Force Pedro would be tasked to do, whereas other uh, medevacs would not go in. Yeah, so that that's kind of so I got I kind of have two chapter two chapters of my military life, right? I talked about the first chapter, which is you know Apache and and all that happened with that, and then then I transitioned over to the Air Force and and came into combat search and rescue. And as we deployed to Afghanistan, there was a need for a casualty evacuation platform that was able to self, uh, you know, basically shoot because a lot of a lot of times dust off, you know, medevac, they're not allowed to, because of the stupid Geneva conventions, they're not allowed to shoot. Right. And so what we had to go, we, we basically filled that niche where we had guys on guns rolling in quick, trying to grab, you know, people who are critically injured and, and get them out and get them back to safety as far as fast as possible. For me, it was such a different mission set, right? Like I, before I was saving the ground guys, at least that's the way I looked at it, saving the ground guys by destroying the enemy. Right. And then I came full circle to saving the ground guys who had already engaged and took it and took it out on the chin by the enemy. And here's where it really kind of came full circle for me. When you're blowing stuff up and you're fighting the enemies that we were fighting, you know that there's collateral damage no matter what you do to minimize it. There's they fight with their families. They fight with with women and children. It's there. It's it's. You know, it's, you know, I've, I've killed women, I've killed children and, and you have to accept that you have to be in that ugly, but not let that ugly be in you. And so for me, when I came over to test, you know, to Pedro, what you're talking about and flying casualty evacuation, sometimes we get called in. It wasn't always armed forces that we were picking up. It was wounded kids, yeah. you know, and sometimes those wounded kids, it would say on the report that they were wounded by Apache shrapnel, right? And for me, that was impactful. That was like, uh, I, this is, I did this too. I did the same thing, you know, and, and these are the ones that, that get away, get away. And that's what I, you know, the, the, the point that I keep trying to drive home with guys is we're called to do an ugly thing. We are like, because nobody else is willing to. And so you can be proud of that fact, but it's ugly. And and it's really easy to let that ugly reside inside of you because because it, you're in the middle of it. So it really I do go into the, into it in the book of how you can be in the ugly, but not let the bu- ugly reside inside of you. And it, it, it's it's a it's not just like something that just happens. You have to be very conscientious 
about the things that you do to make that happen, right? There's, you have to be very focused on what your honorable mission is and define that honorable mission. And that definition has to keep have part in there that you're you're operating in the ugly. That's part of the definition. So you you tie that together with what's honorable. And that that's what that's what one of the things that will help keep your perspective where it needs to be, even when you see a kid with shrapnel getting into your getting into your helicopter that you know that you created, you know, in your last deployment. Right. And uh, that's a, the kids, the kids in war is probably one of the hardest things for any of us to, to deal with, especially if you have children, you go over there and especially you, you see one that is wounded by the weapons of war that we bring over there. Uh, we had, we've had them brought to our gate many times, just wounded from action. You can't mm-hmm. tell who did it to them, but they are innocents caught in a crossfire and usually used as pawns by the enemy to stay between us at some point so that we hit them and then they can get some propaganda out of it. Yeah. And we still will step up and take care of them and we'll take care of the enemy soldier that we wound as well, because that's the type of people we are. And uh, it's something, like you said, you have to know when to turn it on and off and uh, how to compartmentalize things when you're in the, in the darkness or, and then keep that darkness out of your head when you get home. Yeah. Easier said than done. A lot of times it's gotta yeah. be a deliberate, it's a deliberate thing. It's not just something you go, ah, I'll, I'll walk it off. No, right. you won't. <laughs> it's not stubbing your toe. Definitely. Yeah. Not. So you, you, as soon as you close your eyes, you're going to see that impact again and again and again and again. Yeah. So, I mean, I know that's one thing that you've seen that really uh, probably burned into your retina seeing that kid with the shrapnel. Is there any mission that really stands out to you over all your tours that really has had a le- left a lasting impression to you? <laughs> well, boy, I tell you, that, that, there's a <laughs> lot. Um, you know, one, we were kind of talking a little bit about off air and it, and the reason it sticks out is just because it was, it was so intense in nature and somebody got, you know, somebody, my co-pilot got wounded in it. Right. And we talked about it off, off, offline, but often you'd almost rather that be you <laughs> than, than the guy that, that, that's dependent on you. Right. Um, but there was, there was this. We were on we were on a mission and we were taking down uh, well we'd already taken down Musa Kale which was a Taliban stronghold at the time, and um, we were supporting the ground guys in their effort to continue to clear that city, and um, we were getting called in to engage a tree line but they were trying to figure out exactly where uh, they were so we were developing the situation with the ground guys when and I was what what on what would be an outbound leg turned into an inbound leg if, if we get cleared hot right. And as we're turning, I can tell we're about there. We're almost going to get cleared hot. So I kind of slow my turn a little bit because I'm like, I want this to be an inbound leg and a little slower than I want it to be. Um, and, and then we get it. And so I start to turn back in and it, in it while I'm in the middle of a steep bank, uh, I hear I hear my copilot just start screaming on the intercom like it's voice activated. So it's not like he's keying the mic, but he's screaming. And I, and I know exactly what happened. Right. His. He's, well, he says it, <laughs> a shot, you know, a shot, damn it, you know, lots of other explicatives in there too, but, but screaming, but as crazy as that sounds, his, his leg getting shot and blown up was not, that was not my number three priority because we just got our engine shot out as well. So right in the background of him screaming, I hear this audio warning that says rotor RPM low, you know, which is bad in a helicopter, right? That means you're, you're falling, Right. The rotor is slowing down and you're not, you, you don't have lift. And, and so counterintuitively the, the control of my left hand, which makes it go up and down in order to regain that rotor, you have to slam it down. 
you know, you want to pull up because you're falling, but you you got to slam it down. And and so when I go to slam that down and go to correct from the bank, I realize priority number two, my flight controls are jammed. Um, so I don't have an engine. My flight controls are jammed and, and we're falling. And we're, we started at about 300 feet and we're probably at 200 at this point. And, you know, it's been about a second. <laughs> we're falling pretty fast. And, uh, you know, take all the time you need. You got another second and you're pretty much done. Um, and so the Boeing makes the helicopter where you can break out of the controls and have a backup control system. It's a fly-by-wire system. It's sloppy. It's kind of like not having power steering. But but you have to you have to break the mechanical linkage to get there. I was already in a bank. And the way I was going to have to break the linkage, it would have basically steepened our bank even more. And given the fact that we didn't have as much power, we would have ended up upside down if if the controls took effect immediately. And Boeing says, when you do it, there's one second where they don't take effect. And when I when they taught us that, I was like, well, why? That doesn't make any sense. Now I know why. <laughs> because now I'm like, please work Zabertize. And I slapped it over. I slammed the collective down. And we got the rotor RPM high, which is great. I wanted to hear that because it's speeding it back up. And then, and he screamed, of course, because what I didn't realize at the time is the reason that the the cyclic, which is the control between my legs, was jammed up was because his leg, when it got hit, shattered his femur and it wrapped it around the cyclic. Ah. So his leg was wrapped around the cyclic. That's why it was jammed up. So I slammed that over, dropped the collective out, which is the hand, you know, uppy downy. And we, we flew out of that. And, and obviously then it was 30 minutes flight to Bastion of doing first aid, trying to keep that aircraft in the air with a minimal power input. So it was, it was a lot of things going on at the same time. And, um, and what I really teach from that, that particular incident is, is something that I call chair flying. And it's a preparatory tool that I was using for emergencies like that. But what I didn't realize, I was also preparing my mind for trauma by using that tool. And, and it's by a, by a medical term called stress inoculation, where we give ourselves a weakened dose of trauma through visualization or whatever. And, and then when we actually have it, it's like inoculation, like if it was a virus, when, the, when, we, when we get the real virus, it, it doesn't affect us as much. So I that's one of the things that I teach in the book is chair flying slash stress inoculation which is something you can do in war, but you can also do it in your daily life. I mean, you can do it with difficult conversations. You can do it with pretty much anything to get, you know, prepare your mind. And really what I do is it's like meditation meets visualization meets role play, right? So I, I do like a breathing exercise to set what I call fertilize the garden. You're, you're about the plants and stuff. You want it to take root. So my meditation is just breathing exercises. I just do some breathing exercises, make sure I control the environment. And then I start to visualize the horrible, whatever it is, you know, and work my way through it. If it's an emergency procedure in a helicopter, I work it like, say, the engine getting shot out. Well, the engine gets shot out. I'm gonna, what am I going to do? I'm going to reduce the collective. I'm going to come forward on the cyclic. Then I get to a point where I'm stuck. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I figure that out ahead of time. And then I start over and go until that's smooth, until I hit the next choke point. And then I start over until I get all the way through the whole thing from start to finish, smooth, no choke points. It's, it's in my head. I've, I've wired what's going to happen so I can become reactive instead of, you know, uh, instead of actually having to think through the thing when it needs to happen. And then um, you start giving yourself contingencies. You start giving it, hey, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? And then you get into the nitty gritty is what I call it. Like you literally, I literally like, how am I going to, 
how am I, how am I going to have my head straight? I'm going to take a deep breath right when it happens, which I did when this actual thing happened real quick. I mean, real quick, I didn't have a lot of time, but, and I'm going to, how am I, how am I going to talk this, this incident required calmness, even though everything was going crazy, it would, it needed me to be calm and collected. Right. And so when I do my chair flying, I'm going to talk calmly. I'm going to be very direct, but I'm going to be very calm. And so I would walk through that. And that's, and I don't know if you had a chance to listen to the video or not, but uh, the gun tape, but, but in that gun tape, I'm calmer than I'm talking right now. Now my heart was playing flight of the bumblebee, but, <laughs> but my voice and everything else was doing what it was supposed to do because I'd practiced that, you know, I, I'd cheerful in that. And the role play is actually saying and physically moving as you do, as you visualize through it, you're, you're connecting neural, neural, uh, neural pathways, like you're creating muscle memory. And as you do that, when you're in those kind of incidents like that one, you, you hear likelihood of coming out spinny side up instead of spinny side down is greatly increased. Now in your life, you can apply that. Like if you have a difficult conversation with your loved one, your spouse, we always communicate so clearly with the, with the opposite sex. Like there's never any hiccups. There's never any bumps, right? <laughs> you know, sarcasm in, in, intended. I mean, it, that's one of the most difficult things that I, at least me is, is relating to the opposite sex and some of those, just how we think differently. So I will chair fly conversations um, with my, you know, what I'm with my girlfriend and how she might react and what I'm going to do and how I'm going to make sure I deescalate that situation. And, you know, if she does this, I'm going to do that. And, you know, it, obviously it's not that I always react perfectly even when I do this, but it sure helps. <laughs> It sure helps. I, I notice the difference on conversations where I've done that versus ones I don't. Right. Um, but, you know, the cool part about it all is, is that it's also stress inoculation. You know, I pictured blowing up people before I actually blew up people. And that way, when I saw it, yeah, I'd see it. It looked, it looked a little different than what I pictured, but I'd already run my mind through that gambit in an environment that I controlled. And mm -hmm. so it, it, it was like, a, you know, it's the same as an inoculation to a sickness. And there's one difference between, uh, well, you guys flying the Apaches above us and us on the ground. We don't get to go back and actually look at the feed again. Right. What we just yeah. did. So you live it live through your eyepiece. And then you can go you go back and you have the, the Monday morning quarterback there to tell you what you did or did not do right while you're watching you do that same thing again. So you have to relive it. Us on the ground, we do muscle memory things, too. We do all our battle drills all the time. You think they're useless when you're in, at home. You think it's all useless. I'm just wasting time. They just want me to waste my day away. They don't mm -hmm. want me to go out and drink tonight, so they're going to make me do all these drills all day. And then one day something happens. So uh, 1999, I was at Fort Campbell, and we had a helicopter crash next to my squad. And forever, I would say all the medical training we were getting was useless. It was just, this is so boring. It's just a check-the-block thing. But once that thing crashed and we all ran in there, I didn't even think. Everything just happened. We were in there treating. My one soldier was doing triage because he was an EMT on the outside. He triaged everyone. We brought him to him. We were bandaging, uh, bracing, getting everyone out and doing it. Everything just happened like clockwork. Like it was something we did every day. And no one thought twice about what we were doing because it was all our training. that It was embedded in us. So muscle memory and, like you said, stress inoculation. It all helps when you're in the heat of the battle. I think you all said uh, picturing what the body looks like as you shoot it. That helps too because it takes away some of that shock and awe when you do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know that people playing devil's advocate will be like, well, wouldn't that cause anxiety? And if done incorrectly, yes, it will. 
that's the meditation piece is so huge. Like if you start, if you set your mind right in your environment, you can control, then, then you can get further into that visualization. And if you start to feel anxiety, what I tell people, if you start to feel that anxiety, go back to your breathing exercise or whatever you're doing for meditation, right. go back to it, regain control. And what you're doing there is teaching your mind that you have control. And so it doesn't, if it done correctly, not only does it not, it won't, it, it won't create an anxious person. It will teach an anxious person that they're in control. Right. So. And you brought up Camp Bastion for the audience. Camp Bastion was uh, not a very, uh, how would you say, restive area. It was a, a hostile area all the way up to the last time we were last seconds of the, the battles in Afghanistan. It, it was a fight till the end. It was a, the same place. Uh, if you've seen Zero Dark Thirty, that's where the CIA was in that same area where that attack occurred. I believe uh, Prince Harry's Apache was attacked there as well by a ground attack. And that the fighting down there was intense the whole time. So I'm sure your whole tour there was intense. And being in the Army, you were there at least nine months, probably 12 with that Apache. 13. 13. See, I was close. My yeah. math was almost there. <laughs> yeah. Actually, the whole deployment was, was 20. 23 months because we actually did a unit filled training on front of this one. Oh, and we were at Fort Hood for like nine months before we even deployed and then went straight into Afghanistan. And I, I thought it was one of the dumbest things you could possibly do, but, um, but yeah, I was 23 months away from family really. Wow. And Fort Hood is just like being in combat. If you haven't seen the news recently, you have to walk around there with a vest on as well. So, yep. We were in the field for half of that, you know, Insane. You know, put, putting face paint on inside of a helicopter, which made no sense to me. It really helps your vision when you're sweating up there. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, if the ground guy's got to do it, you got to do it. And I was like, well, the ground guys will have to do all the things I have to do up here. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so when you finally were able to come home and take that deep breath, what was it like to transition from that combat piece back to being a family person or being back with family and friends at home? Well, so... What I also chronicle in the book is I was I was married to a woman who was struggling with mental illness, uh, borderline personality disorder. And um, really throughout the book, I kind of chronicle how that was oftentimes more debilitating to me than taking it to the enemy. Oftentimes that was more difficult than than getting shot at by the Taliban. And I even say I think I even say in there, it's like, how come the dynamics of an enemy shooting and trying to take me out of the air? are less stressful than the dynamics of, of trying to deal with my, my wife in, in what I would call a caustic relationship between the two of us. And so my coming home was kind of a mixed feeling, right? Because, uh, yeah, I was happy to be back in, in America, but I had no idea what my, my way forward was going to be. And I mean, granted, we got back, we, we sat down and we kind of said, okay, I was only married five months before we did. I was gone for 23. So it, it was like, are we going to continue with this? Or, you know, are we just going to, you know, chop it up and say we're, you know, good try. And, and we decided, you know, we're going to give it another 23 months with me there and work on us to, to figure that out. And, you know, from that, I did end up getting my son who was adopted, but um, because she was unable to, to, to carry a baby, but, uh, ultimately 10 years of marriage and it, it just, the, the, I wasn't <laughs> competent enough to deal with somebody with mental illness to that degree. And we ended up, uh, eventually getting divorced, but I did get my son from that. And, and it's absolutely a blessing. And I learned so many lessons also through, through her and our interactions that I still use. So I don't see it as a bad thing, but 
But definitely when I came home, like you're asking, I'm like mixed emotions. And as you know, that's not uncommon. That's not uncommon that a guy's coming. I mean, we had guys come home. We've been gone for 23 months and their wife isn't there because she shacked up with somebody else. Right. Right. That's a freaking that's a Jody call for marching in boot camp. It's and it really happens. And it's like whole. In fact, I one of my one of my good buddies that happened to him. So he came and stayed with me and my 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 relationship was struggling. They stayed with us for a while while we tried to get everything figured out. So, you know, the war isn't over when it's over. You know, right. it, the war isn't over when you come home. And and I didn't. It took me probably another year before I even started dealing with stuff that I was dealing. You know, that I did downrange and realized, hey, there's something there. And, you know, most of it was most of what bothered me is that it didn't bother me. I'm like, I see everybody else getting messed up. What am I a psychopath? You know, why am I why am I okay with this? You know, and and then that's what started that journey. But um, so I'm grateful for the fact that coming home, the war was still there because I still learn from stuff. But I think a lot of guys go out and they think when they come home, it's just going to be back to normal. Right. That it just isn't. Yeah. And when I first when I came back from my first uh, combat deployment, 04, I didn't think I changed at all. But my wife and daughter both told me I changed and I ignored them, of course, like like man does. Uh, I ignored them for 12 years ish. Uh, yeah, almost 12 years until I retired in 2015 when I finally went and got help. I tried to get help after 2010-11 was told I, I was a senior NCO. I don't need help. I need to be back with soldiers. So I, I just put my boots on and went and drove forward. And when I retired in 2015, I finally got help and uh, it really helped me out. I found the right doctor, found the right treatment and did the right things with no medication. I was able to push through it and, and battle through and come out. So the other that's side and kind of... Oh, sorry. Good. Sorry. There's a pause. I, I stepped on you there. I apologize for that. You still there? You were saying that's kind of, yeah, I got you. Uh oh, okay. I, I, there was a little bit of latency there, so I was stepping on you. Yeah, I apologize. Technology. <laughs> yeah. You gotta yeah, work no, with it. I, I, that's, 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 yeah, that's my mission right now. And the whole reason I wrote this book is this is phase one to just kind of get a story out there that starts the dialogue. But we put together basically a training that it, it, it's a little mini boot camp that we got guys going through right now. And it is having amazing, amazing results in just three days we're getting guys through and i've been following up with these guys for like a year now and they're still good so you know i'll give i'll give contact information for you at the end of this thing to leave with your stuff if anybody feels like they want to i'm working on getting funding from non for for guys to go through free of charge right now it costs a little bit but it's not a ton um but that's that's really that's really what my my passion is that's why i wrote the book is i wanted to figure something out that can actually make a change and an impact in a healthy way. You know, so right. trauma is powerful. It is powerful. Nobody's going to, nobody's going to argue that nobody's going to argue that it has the power to drag guys down to where they're willing to take their own lives. But it also it, like, it's like a lightning bolt. I always say that lightning bolt can power a city or it can kill you dead. Right. Right. So it's where you focus that power. Um, and like you said, you, you, you come home, you're different. You, that you can be, and I don't believe anybody's broken. It's just a matter of filing where you need to file the stuff you got. Right. Right. So, uh, but you may feel broken. You may feel broken when you come home or you may feel different. Or like you, like you said, you didn't feel different, but other people see it. In fact, 
there's a poem at the end of the book that I wrote that it, that it's called permanent revision. And, and that's what the whole thing is about. Actually, you, if I could probably pull it up, you want me to read this? You could let me, let me, cause this, this probably say it better than I can say it with my own words, even though I wrote it, but, but it took me a time to write it. So <laughs> let me pull it up real quick. All right, here it is. So permanent revision. This is what, I, this is how I feel war affects guys. I say, you can imagine a war, you can imagine the fight. No matter what you just imagined, you will not be right. I remember well the feeling that day when I saw two planes take two towers away. A pit in my stomach began to grow. I have to do something, but what? Didn't know. I long to be part of the retaliatory attack. I want my brothers in arms to know I've got their back. Already in the service of arms to defend this country I love, if need be, to bitter end. You can imagine a war. You can imagine the fight. No matter what is imagined, you will not be right. But on the sideline, I wait. My turn still not near to hunt down those who attack my nation dear. Go back to school. Your time will come, son. I don't want to turn around. Rather, toward the fight, run. Finish my school. Lethal craft learned. Ever more anxious, feeling my turn I've earned. You can imagine a war. You can imagine a fight. No matter what is imagined, you will not be right. Finally, the day came for boots on the ground of a country lost. Now to villains is bound. The fight is real. So we practice and plan destruction and death fill Afghanistan. We do our job pushing fear aside, looking death in the face is a point of pride. You can imagine a war. You can imagine the fight. No matter what is imagined, you will not be right. Not what I thought or imagined indeed fighting for people who have so much need Evil fills caverns, so the rest they must suffer. Can't imagine a place making men any tougher. You fight not for country, for flag, or for seal. You fight for your brothers, and you always will. You can imagine a war. You can imagine the fight. No matter what is imagined, you will not be right. At last, we're back home in the land of the free. I may look the same, but I'm a new me. Things seen and deeds done now bound to my soul in a sum of a parts that now make up my whole. Using the ugly to strengthen and teach, helping my brothers, the, one I, the ones I can reach. Reality so far what the mind will envision once experienced the brain's tattooed with permanent revision. You can imagine a war. You can imagine a fight. No matter what you imagine, you will not be right. Wow. So that's, that's how I feel. That's how I feel what war, war can make you into a superhero or it can make you feel broken. Right. Because it's powerful. That's outstanding. Very heavy, very heavy words. Uh, did you write that while deployed or after you came back? I wrote it after I came back. And you know what's crazy? I was just feeling like really like engulfed in the whole feeling of everything. Like that. it was at night. It was it was on 9-11's anniversary. And I was just feeling it. And I, and I wrote it in one sitting. There was no edits or anything. It was just, it just came, you know, and now I post it every year at nine 11, just because that's the, it, it hit me. And, and that's how I feel. I feel like, you know, a lot of times the world thinks it's a foregone conclusion that that guys have to come back as a shell of themselves. And, and yeah, sometimes we do uh, come back that way, but that's just because we haven't figured out where to file that trauma how to use that trauma in a way that actually can strengthen us and and that's what this transformation training that i get guys to that's what it does 
It helps them realize how to use that, empower themselves instead of be weighed down by it. Outstanding. And so, Brian, we've talked about uh, a lot of your journey, your story. We talked about the book a little bit. We talked about the the training that you do. Where can people find you and how can they get in, uh, involved with the training? With the training, I'll, I will leave uh, my my email. You just email me and I'll get you. Uh, there's only so many spots, but man, I'll get you in if you want to get. And I'll leave the email. You can put it in there. It's it's clearedhot2007 at gmail.com, but I'll give it to you. And then uh, the they can find me at www.clearedhot.info. That's my website. And then if you want to get the book, obviously it's on it's on the website, but it's also Amazon and 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 uh, and some bookstores and stuff like that. But Amazon's probably your easiest way to get it. You know, it's a one stop shop for Amazon. It's just, it's just easy. I hate to say it. It's faster than my website. It is. So. <laughs> it's faster than anyone's website. And you wind up buying stuff you don't need to. So it's something you want. <laughs> three things you don't need will come in the mail the next day. Yeah, it's like Costco. <laughs> exactly. It's like the end caps at every store you go into. It's just yeah. Amazon. And as soon as you open it up, there's something right there, a shiny object that they they know by listening to your phone or something that you want and really don't need. Yeah. It's there and you're going to grab it. So, Brian, if you can give three tips to anyone that's suffering from from trauma, it doesn't have to be a veteran. Everyone goes through trauma. Three tips to help them, A, just identify and then get through it or work through it, not get through it. Well, one one of the biggest tips that I always tell people that they can apply immediately is just is is adopting an attitude of gratitude. And we've heard that so many times. But literally, if you think about it and you're down or you're, you've got a negative feeling, whether it's anger, hurt, whatever, and you start focusing on something that you're grateful for, they can't exist in the same space. So it, either your gratitude is going to win or that negative feeling is going to win. And. And, you know, so it, it's just it's just a, it is a muscle, right? That, that attitude of gratitude, practicing it and stretching, it becomes stronger and stronger to where you your default becomes that attitude of gratitude. Uh, and uh, I tell a story with my regarding my kid that really kind of drives this point home is we do a thing called grateful. Um, grateful is something where he, we just pick three things every day and say grateful and why. And my kid is adopted. He's African-American. And it, it was Martin Luther King at this month, but it was when he was six. And he and he's like, hey, uh, you know, he Martin Luther King was a pretty famous guy. I was like, yeah, I've heard of him. And he's like, he's like, yeah, he changed the world. I was like, he sure did. He goes, he, you know, he gave a speech. I said, yep, I knew. I knew that. And he goes, can we listen to it? And I'm like, we're driving to school. I'm like, sure. So he pulls it up. He listens to it. Six year old, mind you. Wow. Listen to the listen to it. Gets to the end of it and goes, I really like that. Can I listen to it again? I'm like, yeah, listen to it again. Listens to the whole thing again and then puts the phone up and looks at me and says, can we do grateful now? Right. And I was like, of course. And I kind of know where he's going to go with it. Right. I'm like, okay, I know where this is headed. And uh, I was like, you sure can. And he goes, well, I'm grateful for Martin Luther King. And so that part I expected, but then we always have to say why we're grateful. So I said, why? He said, I'm grateful for Martin Luther King because of what he did. I can be your son. Wow. And and that was powerful. And that changed my whole day. Right. Right. And gratitude is powerful. A six year old can teach you something with gratitude that can affect your whole day. And if you focus on gratitude, it can change your whole life. Right. Definitely. Those negative things can't stick in there. So I would say that's number one. You know, awesome. And I can say when I when I breezed through your book the first time, I got to I think it's a page twelve ish, 
there's a picture of your son and who the book is dedicated to. And that picture is it's just a, a happy kid. It, that's all I see is a happy kid there, a phone bigger than him. And it looks like he's about to dance. I'm not sure what he's doing there, but he looks like he he's dancing. <laughs> that's an amazing picture. That just brings to light the book right there. Yeah, no, he's an amazing kid, and I'm blessed to have him. That's outstanding. I'll let you get back to the other two now. <laughs> okay, yeah. So other two. So that gratitude, this is other the second one goes into the same thing. It's perspective, right? You have to get a perspective. A lot of times I tell guys you got to get out of the gunfight. When I fly over Afghanistan, we got the mountains, they are beautiful. When we get called down to do the tick. The troops in contact, the only thing we're seeing is the ugly. We are in there and we are shooting. We are giving it to the enemy. And the guy on the ground, he's even more dug in. All he sees is what's right in front of him. His 50 to 150 meter targets, that's what he's got. That's his world. He's in the gunfight. But those mountains, the beautiful mountains with the snow on them, all over them, right? those are still there. Those are infinite. That gunfight is finite. In your intro, you said don't take a permanent... What does Let me make a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Permanent solution to a temporary problem. 100% correct. That gunfight is temporary. Those mountains are permanent, right? And so is, if you back up even higher, you see the curvature of the earth. How amazing is that? And that's cool. That's beauty in every direction, even if you're over the ugliest part of the planet. You go up in, in the space, and I haven't been there, but... I can imagine <laughs> you look at that and you have this glow, this celestial body, if you will. And, and it's just, it's just beautiful. There's no direction. It just is right. Like there is no direction. There's no right, left. It's just, it's just beautiful. There's no North or South. It's just beautiful. So that is the infinite. The infinite is beauty. The infinite is powerful. The infinite is something of, of light and goodness that the finite is the gunfight. On that beautiful planet, when you're looking at it, there's how many gunfights are happening? You know, I'm they're sure. fire. How many gunfights are happening right now in our talk, in our discussion, right, right. now? They're, in our country. Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. But they're finite. They're finite. And the third one is the, to practice, I would say, is to practice the chair flying. We talked about a little bit. Practice that. Go through things in your head. Set yourself up for success. Inoculate yourself to the, the trauma that you may or may not have. I'm not saying obsess over it. I'm not saying cause anxiety. I'm saying be prepared and be strengthened. Right. So those are three things that I would say, you know, just just move forth with swiftly and purpose in those areas and really strengthen those muscles. It's it's like anything else. You have to stretch. It, right. It's not, it's not going to just like, oh, okay, I'm going to be positive today. No, you have to put it. And we go into this in the book, in the program on, on the systems you can put in place to, to build that up. But, you know, gratitude, is the, that's why I say it's number one. You can start doing that today. Exactly. You, you know, you can start doing that every day. Three things you're grateful for in the morning, three things you're grateful for at night. Get that, get that pattern going. And we call it here at Misfit Nation stacking victories. Every day, stacking victories. Uh, Count all the positives every day. Don't don't dwell on negatives and, and keep striving for it. Each day, try to beat out beat out the gratitude you had or the victories you had the day before. That'll make you feel better, look better, and act better as you move forth in in your daily day. I agree. Stack them up. Yep. Make it tall. Yep. And on your perspective, uh, uh, when I was flying into Kunar on my second tour in Afghanistan, we flew on uh, the contractor birds, like the hop lights, whatever they were called, and uh, they fly us over there. And if you look off to your right, that's Pakistan. It's a beautiful mountain. And if you look to your left, but then you come down, like you said, as you come down lower, you see like you're going from this glorious paradise down into the valley of death. And like, wow, this is this really changed my perspective a lot on this country. 
And I always tell people that country is beautiful, if not at war. Yeah. 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 Actually, my son actually just not Axel, come here. He, he just knocked on the door. Axel. I was going to introduce you to him, but I guess he ran okay. off. <laughs> got shy now. Right. Yeah. He just got back from basketball practice. so Nice. Nice. Yeah. Getting, getting him tired before tonight. That's good. Yeah. He's 10 now, so it's not not, not that little – not the little three-year-old that you saw a picture of. So. Yeah, it's a little fellow there. He's, he must be yeah. – yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, Brian, it's been great having you on here. I'd love to have you on again in the future uh, once you get things going a little better, uh, a little deeper, I guess, not better. And uh, the great things you're doing out there in uh, Mountain Time, uh, we'll have you on again here in Central Time and knock this thing out again to make sure that your your message is getting across to more than just one audience. Yep, and we're going to grow that that training. So yeah, we'll do that when we when that thing's up and robust. But people can get into it now. I'll just get, hit me up with that email. Awesome. Thanks for checking us out and being a part of the Misfit Nation. Don't forget to visit our website at themisfitnation.com it's themisfitnation.com to catch up on all of our episodes and also to get some of that great Misfit Nation gear as always, be humble stay hungry and keep hustling because we are 